0: Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Good morning. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here at Three Creeks, and I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. I, I say this often because it's true every time that you could be anywhere, pretty much, that you wanted to be. And you've chosen to be here at Three Creeks this morning for an hour or so. And so for that, I'm grateful, and I hope that by the end of this service that you go, man, I'm really glad that I went because uh, I was able to connect with God and learn something about Him and myself and meet somebody. And I just, I just hope that every time that you come, you go, man, I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, that I chose to be here at Three Creek. So thanks for coming. We are still in Ephesians, and uh, we're making our way towards the end. Uh, this has been the longest series that we've ever done in the history of our church. I'm having a hard time thinking of a better one that we've ever gone through as a church. Uh, I definitely can't think of one that has been more perfectly timed. Uh, If you are just jumping in here and you're visiting today, or maybe you've jumped in the last few weeks, let me take 90 seconds and and catch you up. Since the first Sunday of the year, we've been in this book called Ephesians, but it wasn't originally a book. It wasn't, you know, one of 66 different volumes and in a, a, a collection of different books. It was just a letter. It was a letter written by a man named Paul under the inspiration of God. Paul was a first century Christian. Missionary. He had planted a church in a city called Ephesus. He had been their pastor for three years. He had left. He had been arrested. And now he's hearing about things going on in Ephesus and he writes him a letter. It would be wise of us to remember that Ephesus was a very important city. It was New York City of the day. It was a cultural melting pot. It was a tourist attraction. It had essentially no moral law when you read about Ephesus, you get nauseous at some of the things that were happening in this place. And so the Christians there were under a lot of pressure to conform and just be like everybody else. Just like the Christians in Ephesus, uh, similar to us, they met in a school. Paul got fed up with the religious leaders that were meeting in the synagogue. And he said, they just don't want to hear what I'm having to say. So they go and they meet in this lecture hall. And maybe most like us, they were just on the whole pretty young in their faith. And and Paul knew that there was a lot that was gonna be thrown at them. And so Paul says, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. In the first half of Ephesians, there's six chapters in it. Chapters one, two, three. Guess how many commands there are in the first three chapters? I call it a half. There's like a half of one command. Paul just says to remember something. That's it. There's no commands really in Ephesians 1, 2, or 3 because the first three chapters of Ephesians, it is the gospel story. And if you're not sure exactly what that is, let me boil it down in the most basic way I can boil it down for you. We were dead, spiritually dead, every single one of us. But God through Jesus made a way so that we could be alive. He he made a way so that we could have new hearts If we just believe in Jesus, this isn't something that can be earned. It's not something that you can, you know, religiously attain to, attend church enough, go to community group enough, serve enough, and then you get there. This is not what the Bible says at all. No, no, no. This new heart is a gift that you've done nothing to earn, but it gives it to us anyways. And then the second half, chapter four, verse one, starts like this. Maybe you remember this. It says, therefore... Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. The first three chapters is the calling. You're a Christian. Okay, therefore, chapters four, five, and six lays out ways in which we can show the world that we actually have been given new hearts and given new lives and we are, we have been made different. You can't have an encounter with Jesus Christ, the living God, and walk away the same. It's impossible. And so Paul says, this is what it looks like to walk this out. This is really important that I want to make sure we understand before I get into today's passage. We don't change. I, I, I've said this, you know, every message in this second half. The, these require us to change. It, it just does. The Bible asks us to change, to show that we have new hearts. And, and when you hear you need to change, if you're anything like me, you go, I don't want to change. Uh, why do I have to change? I like things the way that they are. I do them because I like them. I don't want to change. But this is important for us to understand. We don't change so that God will love us, approve of us, or save us. We change because He already has. We cannot slip into what I call a so-that theology where we cuss less or drink less or sin less so that God will look down and say, you're awesome, I love you now, you've earned it. No, 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 that's, that's, that's actually heresy. That's anti-biblical, it's not the gospel. Rather than having a so that theology, we need to have what's called a therefore theology. God loved us, therefore. Jesus came and died for us. Therefore, this is a gift for you, a new heart. Therefore, then from that space, we go on and we change. Why? Because we're Christians. Because God has given us a new life and a new heart. And there's no way we could be the same. We try our best to walk that out. So so it, it does I I can't move on without acknowledging that if you're not not somebody who has said, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christian, I'm in. If you are saying, no, I'm not there yet. I'm curious. I have questions. I'm on a journey. I haven't crossed that line. Well, then for you, this is all optional today. I actually think it would be very beneficial, but this is optional. What we're talking about today is for the Christian because Paul wrote, to the Christian. He says this is what it looks like to be a Christian, to be in Christ. So let's dive in to the passage today and let's see what God wants for us. And once again, we will find out that he has our best interests in mind, that he's not trying to rip us off, but he really wants to set us free. Transparently, right before we get into this, the trainer the trainer family was slaughtered by the stomach bug this week. Uh, so today's message is a little shorter than other messages. I've been in bed for a couple days. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, my kids went down with it. Morgan went with her. And then uh, some people from our community group drove over on Monday night to grab uh, some babysitter money because we hadn't attended the community group and they were like, how are you? I said, I'm amazing. I said, uh, my antibodies are like Navy SEALs. Nothing can get past this. And then Wednesday happened. And uh, I I always picture stomach bugs like living in a colony. And then there's like a queen stomach bug. You know what I'm talking about? That is the one that came at our family this week. So we're on the mend uh, a little bit shorter than usual. But honestly, as I was praying through this last night, I, I, I was like, God, I'm sorry this is so short. And he said, no, Joel, this is simple, this is clear, and you needed to hear it, and somebody else might too. So so with that said, I want you to know that today it's short, it's simple, it's clear, but I needed to hear it, and perhaps somebody else needs to hear it too. So underneath the surface, I'm just being honest with you, I, from time to time, can get a little bit angry. And I, I I hide it really well. I, I rarely lash out. I'm not a yeller. I'm not a puncher. I it's not how I express my anger. Maybe from time to time I'll let out a, like a hey, you know, to my kids or something because it's just I'm just kind of boiling over. But I'm just being honest. Underneath, on the inside, my anger can just kind of brew and boil. I can almost feel it coming to the surface sometime. If you ask me, hey, are you an angry person? I would say, no. Sometimes I get frustrated from time to time, but I'm not angry. And then I heard someone say, and I've, I've tried my best to disagree with them, but I just can't, that anger and frustration are really the same thing. He, somebody said, what's the difference I asked the production team this morning before church, I said, hey, what's the difference between frustration and anger? And everybody just kind of gives a blank stare because they're not sure. Maybe, maybe we say that anger is like a lot of frustration, but, but really it's the same thing. And so underneath, I'm just being honest, like I kind of get a little frustrated sometimes. I get a little angry sometimes, I'm irritable. I, I, I don't know if I want to say that I'm full of rage, but. Man, it can boil. And I have a sneaky suspicion that I'm not the only person in the room that might feel that way from time to time. And for me, I I think this is true of somebody else too. But for me, when I get frustrated or angry or irritated on the inside, 100% of the time, it is somebody else's fault. It is not my issue. It is what somebody did or didn't do to me or something that happened to me. It is not an issue in here. It is something out there. It's the dog incessantly barking. It's the neighbors. It's my kids. It's the landlord. It's my roommate. It's the price of gas. It's the person who works at Chipotle, and they they scoop the guacamole, and then they just, they hit it so hard on the rim and all the guacamole starts to fall off. And I'm like, that's, you're already, and then they do it again. And then they just put a little bit on your bowl and it just kind of (laughs) brews. It's something that happened to me. It's not my issue, it's their problem. Some of us boil on the inside. you know, when, when I say temper tantrum or somebody with an anger problem, we immediately think of somebody that yells and punches holes in the drywall and throws stuff. But you and I both know somebody who, who has an anger problem, who doesn't do those things, but, but they're just silent. They, they retreat and they use their silence as a weapon. And it does the same thing as a physical outburst. It's manipulating, it's controlling, and it's anger And if that's you, I would say you might even take pride in the fact that you don't lash out. But on the inside, if you're honest, you boil from time to time. And it's always somebody else's fault. Consider the eight-year-old kid, the eight-year-old boy who pushes his sister. If you were to go insert yourself into that conversation and you said, what happened? That eight-year-old boy would not talk about himself. He would immediately point at his sister and say, she did this, or she stole this, or she said this, she made me do this. Because we are pros at finding ways to point outside of ourselves to say, this is not my problem, this is their problem. Even as an eight-year-old, this, a boy buys into the lie that the problems in the world are all out there, they're not in here. So let me take you to Ephesians chapter four and chapter five and just kind of show you a little bit about anger, what Paul writes the Ephesians about it, where it comes from, and perhaps a way to get rid of it and live a more peaceful, loving, others-oriented life. And and this is no exaggeration. If we get this, this one simple thing, if if we get this one simple thing, it could change our lives. And the people that we, excuse me, the people that love us the most, the people that are the closest to us, our close friends, our family members, they are really hoping that this sticks, that this doesn't go one ear and out the other, that this lands and that this makes a difference. So with that in mind, let me read you two verses in Ephesians 4 where Paul talks about anger. In verse 26 of chapter 4, he says, In your anger, do not sin. So he acknowledges everybody's got a little bit of something in their hearts. In your anger, not if you're angry, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And then here's another verse, just a couple, couple verses later. Verse 31 Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. So, so off, the, off the top, this isn't a shocker. It's not really surprising that God doesn't want us to be angry and yell and punch holes in the drywall. Of course, that's not maturity in whether you're Christian or not. Of course, God wouldn't want you to do that. But but the one line that jumps off the page in the first verse to me is, do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, don't sin. Don't be so angry that, or it says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Some of the worst decisions that a person can make, ever makes in their life can be traced back to a moment when they were filled with anger. If you were to go to a prison today and you were to pull different individuals and say, hey. Do you have any regrets? Think of how many people would say, yeah, it was just like this anger that kind of overtook and came over me, and I made a decision that I wish I could take back. When we are angry, we are at our worst. Nobody's making rational, kind decisions when they're full of anger. Anger is a playground for Satan. It's as if we're taking the sign that hangs on our necks and turning it on and saying, open. And Satan goes, let me in there. I can mess with them when they're angry. I can mess with them when they're irritated. If I can just get them just tipped over and and get them all hot, man, I can do anything with them. And Paul says, don't let the devil gain a foothold. But at the same time, Paul acknowledges that we all have anger. And I'm, I, I've already said it to you, I, I have some anger. And, and the, some of the questions I have then is, is, how did it get there and what wakes it up? And how can I get rid of it? Like the Bible says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, how do I do that? Well, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, remember if the, this, this church in Ephesus, is one of the most important churches in the first century. And perhaps rivaling the importance of that church is the church in Jerusalem, which is in Israel. Ephesus is not. But the pastor or leader of that church is the brother of Jesus, James. And James writes another book in the New Testament. It has five chapters in it. And and if James is known for anything, he's known for not pulling any punches. He just kind of tells this. This is what James talks about, anger, fighting, quarrels, what it makes you do. This is what he writes in James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What wakes up the anger? What gets you going? What lights you on fire? What, cause, what is the root cause of fights and quarrels among you? And I read that and I go, no, 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 that's the wrong question. James you wrote it wrong it's supposed to say who causes fights and quarrels among you who causes fights and quarrels it's a who not a what it's my in-laws it's my it's my parents it's my wife she's the one that causes me quarrels and fights it's my kids it's my boss They're relentless, they don't understand. It's the government. It's the city of Gehenna. It's it's who causes fights and quarrels among us. Those are the people that make us mad who we wanna fight. And if the question were asked, who causes fights and quarrels among us? Well, we could answer that one quickly. But then James writes them another question. It's rhetorical. It's supposed to kind of dig a little bit. He says, Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? In other words, is it possible that the problem isn't just out there, but the problem might be in here a little bit? Before I go on, it's important to acknowledge that there is a good type of anger. The anger that inspires you to do something to help somebody else. Heroic men and women all throughout history have become so angry at an injustice that they see, a people that are oppressed, a disease taking over, and they get so fed up with it, so angry, righteously angry at those things, and they've changed the world because of the good anger. But what James is talking about here, what Peter's talking about, or excuse me, Paul, he's talking about bad anger. You see, anger... Righteous anger, good anger, focuses on what other people deserve but aren't getting. Unrighteous anger, bad anger, focuses on what we think we deserve and aren't getting. It's a self-oriented way of thinking. Righteous anger is others-oriented. Unrighteous anger is self-oriented. The truth of the matter is as simple as this. And this is, if you forget everything else I've said, I hope that you can remember this today. We get angry when we don't get what we want. It's almost that simple. We just get angry. We get irritated. We get ticked off when we don't get what we want. And the more you think about that, the more true it will become. I've thought about it all week. I didn't feel great yesterday. My kids weren't behaving real great yesterday. And I got irritated many times. And in every single instance, I thought when I'm angry, it's because I'm not getting what I want. And it was true every single time. When I get angry, when I get frustrated, when I'm irritated, it's because I'm not getting what I want. And, and Sometimes the anger is justified. You know, it makes sense because there is something that we deserve or there is something that isn't fair. But we can always trace it back to we're not getting what we want. Question for you, what is the thing that just tips you over? that grinds your gears, that makes you upset, that makes that anger kind of boil. If you think about that long enough, and I asked you the question, what is it that you want? You would have a solution. You know, um, yeah, someone, someone suggested this and it might sound a little funny to you and it sounded a little funny to me, but I'm gonna try it. I haven't tried it yet, full transparency, but the next time, That uh, my wife Morgan and I are having, uh, we'll call it a a, a disagreement, uh, where the temperature seems to be rising, where we're disagreeing on something and there's a a fight or a quarrel like right, you know, you can just feel it. It's about to happen. Right as we enter into that, this is what I'm going to try to say. (laughs) This is what I'm going to try to say. I'm going to say, Morgan, you know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. And I'll be interested to see what you say to that. (laughs) I'm just, right in the middle of it, if if I was able to acknowledge that all of this isn't you, or all of this isn't outside of me, if I was able to stop and say, you know what part of the problem is here? Part of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. I'm so self-oriented, I'm so self-focused. All I can think about is me right now. It's clouding my judgment. I'm not getting what I want. And then I'm gonna send myself to my room to think about what I've done. And I'm gonna come back. You're gonna be up here soon. You can tell everybody if I did this. I'm gonna come back and, and, you know, I don't know about you, but I find my arguing ability to be pretty impressive. But Morgan has never been as impressed as me with how good I am at arguing. And how, I mean, I, I can win an argument with anybody. And Morgan, for whatever reason, doesn't find that to be all that great. That's generally what my anger makes me do. I want to win. I want to be right. I want to be heard. I, I, I. It's a self-oriented way of thinking. I'm not getting what I want. And my hope is that I will come back in humility to you, Morgan, and say, I'm sorry. I was angry. I was self-oriented. I was only concerned with what I want, but I'm a Jesus follower and we don't do that. And I got off track a second and asked the question, what do you want? I just have a sneaky suspicion that the temperature is going to drop a little bit. And and that might find, excuse me, that might sound funny to say that, but imagine saying that to a roommate that you're in an argument with. Imagine saying that to a fiance, to a boss, to a neighbor. If if things are just, if it feels like the temperature is rising, for you to have the wisdom and the self-awareness to say, do you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. Maybe you don't have to say it out loud, but man, that's a good thing to think in the middle of those things. It's important to, to acknowledge the fact that it, you might not be the whole problem. There's typically it takes two to tango, right? There's two sides. But, but the reality is, is that there's a part of the pie that we need to own. And the truth is that that piece that we need to own is probably bigger than we want to admit. Because we can be so self-oriented and so self-focused and so concerned with what we want, that it clouds our judgment and the anger takes over and we just want To win. In humility, when 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 we have when I have the courage to show that to my wife from time to time, she is blessed by that. She is not blessed by my ability to argue with her. And really, all of this, all this, this whole thing, it's all rooted in this desire to what Paul writes is walking in the way of love. The next verse, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Paul puts this one-verse punch right in the middle of all these, this series of commands. He says, walk in the way of love. What does it mean to walk in the way of love? It means to live your life in an others-oriented way, just like Jesus did. That's the next line. It says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's how Jesus lived. Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, gave his life away so he could take our sins away. Jesus never woke up and thought, how can I make today great for me? He just woke up every day going, how can I be a blessing to others? I'm going to live in an others-oriented way. I'm going to walk in the way of love. He lived humbly. He always thought about others, and we would be wise. We would be so wise. And our friends and our loved ones would be blessed. If we would take these words and and try to hide them in our hearts and, and just get to the point where, when we can just begin to feel it boiling, when we're just irked, we're ticked off, when we're angry, to in that moment not think immaturely and think, this is, man, everybody's just out to get me. It's all, it's their problem. It's my husband's fault, my wife's fault, the president's fault the neighbor's fault, that guy driving's fault. It's not all about everybody else's fault. You know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. And we can just take an honest look and go, what causes fights and quarrels? I think it's the desires that are within me. And so God, we need your help to to get rid of that and live in an others-oriented way. Let me pray for us. God, we admit that we're not perfect. We've got a lot of work to do. My desire is to walk in the way of love. I've got a long ways to go. I pray that you would give me the courage to be humble and to be kind. And not to let this anger brew, but to acknowledge that it's really a selfish way of thinking. God, would you help me with my wife? Would you help me with my children? Would you help me with my church? Would you help me with the people that I drive next to? There's no way I can do this without your help. And so I need it. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Bye.